The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. All right, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. But before we get there, I want to throw an image up on the screen here that I came across uh, this past week. And I think this image really describes, when I came across this, really describes kind of our cultural moment in many ways. Ways that we're very individualistic, ways that we tend to think about ourselves, dwell upon ourselves. And that supercomputer in your back pocket is one of the ways that, we, that, that, that this manifests itself. Kind of always looking at our phone, you can just see all the stats that there might be as screen time is on the rise. And in light of that, just our individualistic culture seems to be the thing that we are most prone to in our moment. Now, here's another image that I came across thinking about this text, Philippians 2. It's kind of one of the images that you just type into Google Images community. One of the things that pops up is something like this. It's very idyllic, people gathering together, a little kinfolky a little bit there. Lots of people having a good time. And the, the tension that we feel, the tension that I feel, is that we live in this moment on one hand where it's so individualistic. We're looking at our phones. The algorithms are feeding us things that are for you, about you, that meet your comfort. And at the same time, there's a longing in each of us here in this room for some version of community. Now, it might not necessarily look like this on the screen, but you all have some mental picture of what your ideal community might be. And so what happens is in this moment, if we look at the next picture here, is that really the ratio of individualism and community is something like this. Where we might say we long for community, we might long for deep relationships, but in actuality, the individualism kind of rears its ugly head, if you will, and sort of takes over, and then it kind of informs and drives how we then think about community. And where does this lead for us? Well, if we think about it, individualism, I would say, leads to not robust community, rather individualism leads to isolation. Individualism leads to loneliness. I mean, take your pick of any study in recent years. Articles from the New York Times show how loneliness in our culture, isolation in our culture, is driving America apart. Or a recent Harvard study, just from a couple years ago, describes loneliness as an epidemic that keeps increasing in our culture. Or get this, experts say that loneliness, isolation, is as bad for your health as someone smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
And friends, this is sort of the cultural moment that we live in. Now, if we live in this moment where individualism is on the rise, leading to more and more isolation, and we still have this longing for deep, robust community, what ends up happening is that we settle for these shallow substitutes of community. Not the real thing that we have on offer as far as the gospel is concerned, but these shallow substitutes, things like building community around what we're against. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not like those people over there. I'm so glad I don't vote like those people over there. And we build community around things we're against. Or we build community around what's best. Or what's best for me. My preferences. My comfort. My schedule. Or third, we build community around exactly that. My own comfort. What works for me. This is the cultural moment that we live in. And we settle, friends, for these shallow mud pie versions of community when something infinitely greater is on offer to us. As C.S. Lewis might say, we are far too easily pleased. Friends, we are all made for community. And just like we profess in our profession of faith that we are made in the image of a triune God, an eternal community of love. And so for every single human being in this room, you were made by God for community. Rich, robust community, not for these shallow substitutes, not for isolation, not for loneliness. But again, the problem is is that 24-7, we are all sort of indoctrinated with these sort of shallow substitutes for community. This is what we see on the algorithms. This is what we see in our, our culture at large. And it's very hard to just kind of walk into these doors and go, you know what, I know I'm shaped by all that 24-7 throughout the week and then just walk in here and go, okay, now I'm going to have just robust community an hour a day or an hour on a Sunday morning. And friends, this is why we need Philippians 2. This is why we need this text. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is real community, the community that, that the scriptures envision here. Real community, the community that you've always wanted. And I want to break this down in sort of three movements. Community in three movements. What you really want, why you can't get it, unless you have this. What you really want in community, why you can't get it, unless you have this. So number one, what you really want in community. Let's take a look at our whole passage here. First five verses of Philippians 2. It says this, so... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves." Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, the first four verses of chapter two in the original language is one long run-on sentence. It's a a sentence that would have gotten Paul in trouble in elementary grammar class. Pastor Bob often tells me that I often preach in run-on sentences, which is true. English was my least favorite subject. And what I would want to say is, I'm just being like Paul in this moment. (laughs) And why this is important, though, is that verses 1 through 4 being one long sentence, 
there's one main controlling verb that sort of is the fulcrum point of this, this little paragraph here. And that main verb is in verse two where Paul says, complete my joy. Everything before complete my joy is, is the why. Why should the Philippians complete Paul's joy? And everything after complete my joy is the how, how this plays out. And what Paul is showing us, what Paul is demonstrating to us is that what Paul is saying, complete my joy, literally what Paul is saying, let my joy be coming to overfilling. Overfill my joy. Paul's already said in chapter one that he has joy. But here in chapter two, he's saying, fill my joy to overflowing. And what gets Paul more joy? What gets Paul excited? What gets Paul out of bed in the morning? Well, it's this vision, this heart, this pastoral heart that Paul has to see the Philippian church live into this real, genuine, Christ-centered community that is on offer because of the gospel. So Paul gives the why. Why should you live into this sort of version of community? Paul says, he kind of does these rhetorical things. Do you have encouragement in Christ? Do you have affection and sympathy? Do you have participation or fellowship in the Spirit? You do have these things, friends. Then, therefore, complete my joy. Complete my joy. How? Being of the same mind, same heart, one spirit. Live in humility. Paul is inviting the Philippian church to recognize the resources they have because of who Christ is and what he's done. Because of the work of the Spirit in their lives. To, therefore... Live into this real vision of what it means to be the people of God, of what it means to be God's people gathered together. And specifically, Paul points to two ways in this passage of robust, rich Christian community. The first one is unity around something bigger than yourself. See, we live in a culture that wants to have community based on something that's either my preferences, my choices, what's best for me. Paul is saying you need to have a bigger vision, something that actually unites you that's beyond yourself. Paul says, complete my joy, verse two, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What Paul's referencing there is what should drive Community, what should drive the gathering of God's people is unity around the gospel, unity around the devotion to what Christ has done and what Christ is all about. Let that be the anchor, Paul says. Have the same mind, have the same passion, have the same devotion to the things of Jesus. And let that be the reason that anchors your relationships, that anchors your time spent together in community. But Paul also has a second thing. Humility. I love what he says in verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. But in humility, count others. Now that phrase count others is really important because it speaks to the fact that humility, if, if you're anything like me, and if you're just a human being in this room, humility is not something that just naturally happens. Paul is saying you have to count, consider, be intentional about this. But there's some effort involved here. Count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, pay attention to this. Look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Notice what Paul is saying here. That you and I, we have interests. We, and that's okay. Paul's recognizing that. Humility isn't just this, you know, become a doormat, doesn't really matter what you think, doesn't really matter anything about you. No, no, that's, that's not true humility. True humility is having the self-awareness to know, yeah, I do have some self-interest. I do have things that kind of make me tick, things that I prefer or don't prefer. But in those moments, because of the resources of the gospel, because of the participation of, and fellowship with the Spirit, they're in those moments I consider or count or I'm intentional to, let, to not let my preferences drive my relationships. Humility implies a deep self-awareness. A self-awareness of who I am in Christ and an awareness of the needs and the interests and the ideas of others. And Paul is presenting this vision. The scriptures are presenting this vision of what would it be like to have robust, rich community that was united around something bigger than ourselves and that considered each other more important than the next person. How revolutionary, how countercultural would that be? In fact, scholars point out this idea of humility. We think of humility today as like that's this robust virtue, that's something to be looked with respect upon. In Paul's day, Humility was not seen as something virtuous. In Paul's day, humility was, was not something that you would want to be described as being a humble person. That was for the slaves. That was for the people lowest in society. But Paul here is saying because of who Christ is, humility is something we should strive for. Humility is what marks the person and work of Jesus. And because of that, humility is actually to be one of the primary characteristics, the primary markers of the people of God. A community not marked by self-interest, but community marked by deference and sacrifice and the consideration of others. And the scriptures are telling us this is the kind of community you really want. But, number two, you can't have this. Or why can't you have this? Look at me, look with me at verse three. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Paul is presenting this vision of community. The scriptures are inviting us to see that this is what we're made for. This is what God is inviting us into, but you can't actually have this on your own. This isn't something we can just muster up in our own strength. And the reason being, Paul gives two reasons in particular, both found in verse three. The first one is this idea of selfish ambition. It's the word aretheia in the original language, and it's this word that means hyper-fighting for personal preferences. It's this idea that speaks to someone who is so into themselves that what drives their relationships is the need for their preferences to be at the center of their relationships. And friends, don't get me wrong, like I just mentioned, many of us have preferences but what often happens in a culture marked by individualism is that we allow those preferences to be what drives our vision of community. See, if you come into this room, if you come into the local church, 
gospel community, your relationships, with your preferences leading the way, whether that be a speaker or your idea of how small groups should be or your idea of how a schedule should be or idea of whatever the case might be, that will kill community. Erythea, selfish ambition, is a surefire way to see Christian community suffer, wilter, and die. There's a question that I think the scriptures here are inviting us to consider. What preferences, what erythea are you bringing into this room? Are you bringing into your gospel community, whether it's subtle or maybe not so subtle, that might be a hindrance into this robust life that God is inviting us into? What preferences do you have that might be taking away from this vision of community that God is inviting us into? From what we can tell, the church in Philippi was one of the most healthy churches that Paul wrote to. There doesn't seem to be a ton, especially compared to think about Corinth or the churches in Galatia. The church in Philippi seems to be very healthy. Yet Paul still takes the time to point out that even in the most healthy churches, and may I say, Corumdale is a super healthy church. Even in the most healthy churches, there still needs to be this recognition of how our selfish ambition, how our preferences might get in the way or might kill or destroy healthy community. That's the first thing Paul says that gets at or, or takes away from this robust version of community. The second one, do nothing from selfish ambition, number one. Number two, or conceit. Some of you, if you have an old King James version or maybe are familiar with this passage of the old King James, KJV translates that word conceit as vain glory. Now that's a phrase, that's a term that we don't go around saying that, you know, I'm full of vain glory today. Or that person is so full of vain glory. That's kind of an, an old English phrase, but what the KJV, excuse me, gets right there is this idea of how this term, conceit, really speaks to this idea of vain or empty glory. And we'll talk about that, what that means in a moment here. But this idea of vain or empty glory is what Paul has in mind with this word conceit. What one writer describes as glory hunger. Someone who's hungering for glory. Now, what is glory? That's kind of a loaded Christian word that's kind of just floated around quite a bit. What does glory even mean? Well, throughout Scripture, the idea of glory really, in its most basic sort of form or idea, speaks to this idea of weightiness or importance or significance. That Paul is saying, the Scriptures are saying that when we talk about God being the most glorious being in all the universe, we're saying that God is the most significant, the most important, the one who matters the most. Or maybe think about it like this, that famous line from the book of Romans, another letter that Paul wrote. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What Paul is getting at there in the book of Romans is that Every single one of us, because of sin, have fallen short of the weightiness, the importance, the significance for what we were made for being made in God's image. Why? 
because of sin. The ways that we all seek our own preferences, our own idols, all the ways that we put ourselves ahead of God and other people. Sin creates what one writer calls this glory deficit, this gap, and that gap is massive between the glory of God and the glory that we are meant to be and incapable of being apart from the work of Christ. And so what ends up happening, what Paul is getting at here, is that every single one of us, if we're honest, we operate in our relationships at times from this glory deficit where we might not say it so, so you know, explicitly. We might not walk into our gospel communities and say, you know what? I want to be the most important person right now. Like, tonight is going to be about me. Like, no one does that. And if you are that person, stop that. What, how this looks, though, is that when you might enter into your gospel community or another gathering, whatever it might be, there's this subtle thing that happens in your heart when someone else maybe gets a little more attention than you. Or when you maybe don't get to share that thing that you really wanted to share. And you're like, I really thought what I had to say was more important than what that person had to say. Or you're in a situation with you know, a roommate or a coworker. And maybe they get you know, an advancement in, in their career. Or they're doing slightly better than you in school. Whatever it might be there. And there's an element of jealousy an element of envy. It might not be explicit. It probably isn't. But what the scriptures would say, what Paul is saying here, is that that is a moment where we're operating from a glory deficit. Empty glory. Vain glory. Or as probably most of you have in your ESV, conceit. And what Paul is saying here is that that, that will kill community. You get a bunch of people, even a dozen people in a room on a Wednesday night, operating from a place of empty glory. It doesn't take long for that community to fall apart. And Paul is warning, again, Philippi, probably one of the most healthy churches in all the New Testament, be careful of empty glory. Be careful of those subtle and small ways where we're operating out of this sort of gap, this lack, this scarcity mindset, rather than, think about the beginning of our passage, rather than operating out of all of the abundant resources we have in the gospel, affection and sympathy, love, participation, koinonia, fellowship with the Spirit. Paul is reminding the church, the scriptures, the Spirit is reminding us of the things that take away, that kill, destroy community. And so, again, the question is before us. In what ways do you bring empty glory into your relationships? In what subtle and small ways do you have a tendency to operate from a deficit mindset rather than the abundance and riches that you have, we have, in the gospel? In what ways is it a struggle for you to operate from a place of 
you know what? I can consider that person more significant than myself. Friends, we all do this. We're all in this sort of boat together. The scriptures are speaking to each of us in this. So in what ways is vainglory or a glory deficit operating in your gospel community? In what ways is empty glory maybe operating in your marriage or with your roommates? And I think that's really important to not just rush past, but to slow down and consider in what ways are these small, subtle things sort of like a a virus that if not taken seriously, not dealt with proactively, eventually undermined the very gospel culture and community that we're, we're seeking and desiring to have in this church and in our gospel communities. So friends, we, all, we recognize that we're made for a community. We all long for a community. We all, number one, really want a community marked by unity and humility and centered on the gospel. We all really want this. But number two, we recognize we can't get this. Why? Because of things like selfish ambition or personal preferences. We can't get this because of things like vainglory or operating out of this glory deficit. But unless you have this, Point number three, you won't get this robust vision of community that the scriptures are pointing to. What do I mean? Number three, unless you have this, well, the solution to this predicament that we're all in, the solution is actually found both in verse one and in verse five of our passage, sort of like a bookend, if you will, of our text. In verse one, Paul says, if there's any encouragement, maybe underline this phrase, in Christ, And then Paul says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, is the solution to why we can't have this kind of community. The phrase, in Christ, is probably Paul's favorite and most often sort of way of describing the the Christian life. It's Paul's phrase of describing this beautiful idea that the the one who has placed their faith in Jesus is united to Christ, what theologians call union with Christ. What this idea speaks to is that for those who have trusted in Jesus, Jesus' death has become your death. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus, his resurrection life has become your resurrection life. His righteousness, his sonship, his adoption, his everything, all the resources of heaven, are yours in Christ Jesus. And friends, Paul is letting us know, the scriptures are showing us that unless you are in Christ, unless you are united to him in his death and resurrection, Romans 6, then this vision of community, this kind of relational bonds that Paul is speaking of here to the church in Philippi is unavailable to you. You cannot have this vision apart from a connection, a union with Christ. But Paul even goes a tad deeper here. Notice in verse five, have this mind or mindset which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul's being very specific about what we have in Christ. He wants to point us to something very specific, a very important benefit that we all have because of our union with Christ. And that benefit, Paul says, is this mindset 
This mind of Christ Jesus, which is available only to those who have placed their faith in Christ. Have this mindset. What mindset is he talking about? Well, we kind of have to cheat a little bit and kind of peer into next week a tad. It's this mindset of, of Christ emptying himself. It's this mindset of Christ laying his life down for you and for me. Not, not considering his privilege, his status is most important, but laying that aside, giving that up for you and for me. And because of that, he has given us his, his power, his life. Even though we have operated in our own relationships, in our own lives from a place of empty glory, Christ has laid aside the glory that he had. And, the Paul, and Paul says in Philippians 2 later on that he humbled himself Become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He made himself a slave. Jesus, Paul is saying, did the exact opposite of operating in empty glory. Jesus gave up his glory so that we might be united to him, seated in heavenly places, experiencing and knowing the glory of God. Earlier in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, in John 17, Jesus prays, Father, I want them to have the glory that I had with you before the world began. And this way of, of being, this mindset, is what Paul has in mind here. That unless you are united to Christ, and unless you are operating from this sort of mindset, not just as a pure example, but because you recognize Jesus as your Savior, therefore you have the empowerment to live this out, this is the only way that we can access and have and enjoy this way of being and living in community. And this word mindset is really important because it's not just, you know, think these right thoughts that are yours in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying believe and check the right theological boxes which are yours in Christ Jesus. No, this word and that's stated for mindset speaks to thinking and feeling and doing all merged together. This idea of mindset, think about when we say in English, set your mind to something. Speaks of intentionality, speaks of actual action. It's not just this, okay, think the right things. And Paul is saying because of the good news of Jesus, because of what he has done for, for each of us in this room, if we place our faith in him, Paul says you have the resources of Christ himself, the mindset of Christ to lean into your relationships with humility and unity. And so the, qu the question is, will you live into the resources and power of the gospel available to you? Or will you settle for those shallow substitutes of community that are really just masquerades for individualism? Will you lean into the power and the resources of the gospel or will you just settle? Now, I could just end the sermon there. And we could just be done. We could just be, okay, have this mindset. Have a nice day. We'll see you back next week. But again, I want to drill deeper here. Because what Paul is getting at, what we all, I think, intuitively feel, is that community isn't just something that just you snap your fingers and it's easy peasy and it happens automatically. Having robust, rich Christian community takes work. 
New Testament scholar Lynn Kohick says this in her commentary. We all want friends, but the hard work of building community cuts into our rights of individual choice and self-expression. Paul's call here is to put the unity of the body of Christ on in the local church level as of first importance, cuts as well into the heart of the American value of efficiency. It takes lots of work to be united at the deep level of the gospel. In other words, it takes intentional effort to live this out. So I love what Dallas Willard famously is, is known for saying, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. And this is exactly why Paul says, this mindset is yours in Christ Jesus. But this doesn't mean you just kind of sit back and relax and just all of a sudden community is going to happen for you. No. There's intentionality that's required from you and from me. There's a response that we're invited to lean into because of who Christ is and what he's done. And so to end, I just want to offer three quick sort of practical things in light of this. How might we intentionally lean into this, have this mindset, respond to the power of the gospel? Number one, I would say this, unify around Jesus and his gospel. Meaning let this be what drives you toward community. Let this, unity around Jesus and his gospel, be the reason why you want to gather. Not personal preference, not even things like life stage or convenience. But what drives your relationships? It needs to be something bigger than yourself. And friends, what the scriptures are inviting us to see is it's unity around Jesus and his gospel. Number two, contribute, don't consume. It's just a way of summarizing what Paul is getting at here in this text. There is a tendency within all of us to rather just consume community and let community just kind of be something that we get on our own terms. But rather, the invitation of Scripture is to be those that actually contribute to building community, contribute to building those relationships. Last but not least, reach out more than you retreat. And this could be applied in a variety of ways. But there's a tendency, again, with all of us, to rather just simply retreat into our own comfort, retreat into our own schedules. Where there's a hard conversation that needs to take place, there's a tendency to retreat. But what Paul has in mind, what the scriptures have in mind, rather, is that we would be a people that reach out rather than retreat. And so, friends, as we think about this, as we dwell upon this, may you remember and recognize that you have the resources of heaven through the gospel of Jesus. You have the affection and sympathy of the Father. You have the love of Christ. You have the participation and fellowship with the Spirit. You have the mindset of Christ. So don't settle for shallow substitutes. Lean in. Trust and rely on the good news of Jesus to empower not only you, but the relationships that God is building in this place. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the truth that is presented to us in your word. God, we recognize that apart from you, apart from your love and your character, that everything that we're reading about and thinking about and studying this morning, we can't do, we can't achieve. 
And so, Spirit, would you meet us in our lack? Would you meet us in our need? Would you help us to not settle? Would you help us to lean in and trust that you are doing a beautiful work, not only in us as individuals, but us as a community of your people? So give us a deep hunger for that. Enliven us. Motivate us. Encourage us, we pray. We pray these things in your name. Amen.